0: Well, as we've said several times this morning, uh, here at Lakeland Community Church, we believe that God uses all sorts of things to reach us. Uh, He uses all sorts of things to show his love for us, and he uses all sorts of things in this world to change us and make us into the people that he made us to be. Just some. God uses generosity and charity, and that touches our heart in a particular way. God uses other people he uses family, he uses friends, he uses the church. God uses other places. God takes us other places and to interact with other cultures. Sometimes other cultures that live right in our own community, sometimes on the other side of the world. But through that, he, he does things to us in a special a way. So, in 2014, our church began a journey called Fearless Subtitled give gather go and we wanted to dedicate one year to each of these soul-shaping forces that God uses And so next year we'll be emphasizing going Last year we emphasized giving This year we are focused on gathering So gathering happens dozens of different ways. Um, You've seen six this morning um But at the core of what it means to gather here for our congregation is our small groups and redemptive communities ministry. So this morning, I want to tell you three stories. And for those of you who may be newer to the congregation and you don't know what small groups or redemptive communities are, I hope that through these stories, it begins to paint a picture in your mind of what they look like. For those of you who have been a part of the community, I also hope that through each of these stories, we will reveal a key to unlocking the spiritual power of gathering. Because without this key, small groups can become an obligation. Small groups can become an annoyance. But with this key, they can become a life-changing, God-encountering experience. So I hope we're going to experience the uh, discovery of that secret altogether. These stories I'm telling are not about real people. But everything that I describe in these stories did actually happen to somebody. Just not necessarily to these three people and certainly not to anybody with these first names. So we'll start with Matt. Matt is in a small group with three other guys. His small group has decided to meet, uh, and they meet on Monday mornings for breakfast at a restaurant. That was the best time for their stage of life uh, to get together with other guys. So when they get together on Monday mornings at the restaurant, they usually talk about the sermon the day before. What they hear? What did they understand? What are they grappling with? Um, and the sermon's only 24 hours old, so even half the time they can actually remember what it was about. Um, Sometimes though, uh, given the quality of the sermon, they may just talk about what happened in their family, what happened in their home that week. Now this group has been very important to Matt in the last several years because he came to church Uh, actually quite confused about how something so ancient could be relevant and actually lived out by a man in, in this modern time. So to be in this group with three other guys who are like him and see how they live out Christianity day in and day out, very, very helpful to him. So he has deeply appreciated this group. But here's the deal. Matt's wife is a night owl. If Matt wants to spend quality time with his wife and really connect, he has to stay up for the late show and the late, late show and the much too late show. And truth told, Matt's not exactly a morning person himself. So when he wakes up in any morning, he's tired. But on Mondays, when he's trying to get in a whole breakfast before work, that's really hard. And this last Monday was... Well, it was one of those mornings where you wake up and you're holding your pillow and you think, oh, this pillow, this must be what heaven feels like. <laughs> and the alarm's beeping and your hand's trying to turn it off and it's just, you're just too tired to move. So he's laying there on a Monday morning and he's trying to decide what to do. He knows that they're going to be talking about what they did this weekend because the service the day before was mostly worship music because it was a holiday and all Matt did all weekend was clean out the garage so there's not a lot to tell still Matt really appreciates these guys he knows small group is not just about learning something it's not just about getting some advice when and if you might need it he knows it's also about valuing these other guys It's it's about what does it mean when you call someone your friend? He knows if he can just roll over and get both feet on the floor, that will probably lead to him getting up and going to breakfast. So he just puts all his energy into that. I'm just going to roll over and I'm just going to put my feet on the floor. And he does it. And 30 minutes later, he's rolling in and ordering pancakes with the guys. As predicted, they're talking about what they did this weekend. But the guy sitting across from Matt, he looks gloomy, you know, with the side of stormy. There's something going on behind his eyes that's not easily visible. And so Matt says, are you all right? And his friend says, oh, I'm fine. And Matt says, really, you don't, you don't look fine. And the floodgates open. And this guy sitting across from Matt, pours out his heart of what's been going on at his house for the last couple of months. And Matt just sits there. I mean, it's not a catastrophe. No one's going to get divorced or anything like that, but it's hard and really confusing. And Matt doesn't know what to say. These guys aren't marriage counselors. They don't have any advice to give. All they can do is sit there and listen. But just in doing that, the storm starts to lift. The more this guy talks, and it's the first time he said anything about this stuff, he starts saying things like, oh, man, I thought I was alone. It's so good not to be alone. It actually feels better to be talking about it. He says, sitting here, I realize I still love her. I, I still have a lot of hope for us. Matt feels the spirit moving around that breakfast table, and all he did was get out of bed and show up to listen. He knew miracles can happen in small groups and now he's just seen one. And to think he almost missed this over 45 minutes of sleep. Matt has learned the secret. Then there's Sarah. Uh, Sarah heard in a sermon one time that friends actually form because they like doing something else together. They like one another, but what they really like is that they all like the same thing. And they they bond together around this other thing and they become friends. So Sarah decides if she's going to have friends, Christian friends, they're probably going to be the type of Christian friends that like sewing and quilting. Because Sarah loves sewing and quilting. So she goes looking for gals like that in the church and she finds them. And now every other Thursday night they get together to quilt, knit, sew, and study the Bible. This is exactly what Sarah needed. This came to her at a time in her life when she was feeling alone. She was feeling very disconnected. She would sit in church and look around and think, I don't really have friends here. When she went looking for women who loved the same thing she loved, that all changed. This has been a breath of life to her. But here's the deal. Sarah is in a very high-stress, people-intensive job. And so when she comes home at night, What she feels when she comes through that door is a wave, a pleasant wave of quiet and comfort. Her house is very comfortable to her. And so on this every other Thursday night, the thought of making a sandwich real fast and getting her keys and going back out, very difficult, even though it only comes up every 14 days. Now, thanks to social media and texting, it is now... Easier than ever for Sarah to flake out on her friends. Just a few swipes of the thumb and she's free. She's not coming. She's really, really sorry. If she wants, she can even dog herself a little bit. You know, I need to get my head on straight. Uh, you know, I, I, my life's out of control. I need to change something. You know, something, say something bad about herself. Sometimes her friends will even send back something affirming. Oh, yes, get some rest. We totally understand. No worries. A few seconds of regret and she's free for the night to surf the net or watch 251 channels of nothing. But Sarah does know the secret. God has nothing for her on the internet tonight. No miracle is going to come down on satellite TV. Truthfully, God may not have something for her at that knitting group either. But if the Holy Spirit is going to meet with her somewhere tonight, the mathematical odds are greater that it's going to happen at the knitting group. You see, when Sarah thinks of her group as a place to sew or a place to listen to a guy on a DVD talk about the Bible, it's very easy for her to send that text. But when she thinks of it as a place that God may show up and do a minor miracle through her, if not to her, that's another way of thinking about it. And when she thinks about it that way, she gathers up her yarn and her needles and she heads out the door. So Sarah gets to the group and there's this other gal in the group and her face is red. She has clearly been doing the ugly cry, you know, where the tracks of little rivers of where tears have passed. Uh, Why this gal showed up to the group in this condition is anyone's guess. Maybe she just had the same internal struggle Sarah had. Or maybe since this all came from a fight with her husband, she just didn't want to be in the house with him and she just ran to the next thing on the schedule. But here's what happened. This gal who's crying, she is a saver. When it comes to money, she's a saver. And her husband is a spender. So, you know, there's the fight. That's all you need. Well, every other woman in this group is also a spender. So all they can say to this woman is, well, why don't you lighten up? Why don't you quit being such a tightwad? You're probably wearing your husband out with all that worry and fret. But not Sarah. Sarah is a saver also. She's, in fact, the only other person in the group who understands what this gal who's crying is thinking. And so when Sarah speaks, she talks about security, our need for security, the comfort it brings us, the false idol it can sometimes be. She talks about the fear of scarcity and not having enough and how that can drive us to clash with the people that we love the most. And as Sarah talks, the cloud begins to lift. But Sarah's not uh, just healing this other gal. Because as Sarah hears all those spenders talking, Sarah realizes how her husband at home, the spender, must feel sometimes. If we can't enjoy ourselves with our money, then why work so hard for it? Why would you want to keep putting off enjoying ourselves in this marriage so you can have a little more in the savings account, just a little more in the savings account, just a little more in the savings account, and then we'll do something fun when we're like 87 years old? (laughs) Sarah, as she listens to these other spenders, realizes how much fun and spontaneity her spender husband has probably been bringing this whole time to the marriage. But as those spenders... Listen to Sarah and this crying girl talk. They realize how their husbands, who are all the savers at home, how they must feel. Their fear of scarcity. Everybody is learning something about everyone else and being healed. And they're learning one of the keys to relationships. Being able to see someone else's point of view without having to judge it as right or wrong. And everyone marvels. How does God do this? with a knitting group. And to think Sarah almost missed being a part of this moment with a few swipes of the thumb. In fact, since she was the only other saver who got this ball rolling in the conversation, who knows if she hadn't showed up, if this would have happened at all. It's a good thing... She knew the secret. Last but not least, Josh and Jessica. Josh and Jessica are in a couple's small group. Couple's small groups are the hardest type of small group to hold together. Counterintuitive. Everybody rushes in thinking, oh, this will be easy. Our schedules will be the same. We can do it together. You're shy. I'm not. You can tag along. Couple small groups are, seem easy to get into. They are hard to hold together because now you have not only the dynamics between you and the spouse and them and their spouse and them and their spouse and them and their spouse. And and their spouse. You now have the dynamics of you and her wife and you and her wife and you and her wife and him and his husband and this and this. All these people got to get along and relate. This is hard. This is hard. But Josh and Jessica are fully engaged in their couple small group and they are in it to win it. They gravitate toward groups like this that are on child-rearing and marriage and personal finance. Anything that might help a couple build a strong foundation from then which to serve the community and the world in the name of Jesus. You see, Josh and Jessica were nearly divorced once. But through a small group like this on marriage, they learned that key to relationships, Sarah was just learning Uh, how to see someone else's point of view without having to judge it as right or wrong. And it saved their marriage. So Josh and Jessica are very vested in small group, very loyal and very grateful. Now given their busy stage of life and the age their kids are and all the activities, they have opted for a small group that meets for six weeks in the early spring and six weeks in the late spring and six weeks in the fall. Even so, that schedule is still sometimes too much for them. They often get themselves double booked with soccer games, double booked with the sports carpool, double booked because they had to move dinner around to accommodate a practice schedule. Anyone else might bag on the whole small group thing until the kids are out of middle and high school. But Josh and Jessica know better than that. They know better than most the slippery slope that begins with isolation. In their mind, showing up for a group is nothing less than combating Satan's attempts to divide them from the wisdom of the people of God so that he can then divide them from one another. That's what they believe they're doing when they show up to their small group. And that belief has served them more than once. They often drive away at night laughing that the night they least wanted to go to small group was the night they got the most from it. They have often driven away from church on a Sunday laughing that the morning it was the hardest to go to church was the morning they swear it was all designed just for them. They have been at this long enough to know where the little miracles happen and how to show up for them. But here's the deal. This week, they have a series of text messages which indicates that nobody is showing up for the small group. Everybody's going to be gone except for Josh and Jessica and the couple who host it. That's four out of the ten people who normally do this thing. Most groups would cancel in this situation. However, Josh and Jessica's group leaders say they don't believe in canceling. They say even if it's just the two of them, they will sit in their living room during that time and for 90 minutes pray for everyone else in the group. So Josh and Jessica begrudgingly agree they will go to the group. Since there's only four of them, there's no point in staying at the house. They all go out for ice cream. And when they're in the ice cream parlor, they start telling stories. Where did you grow up? How did you two meet? Stories of crazy things they did when we re- were in school. The types of stories you don't always get to when you have ten people in a room. Now, Joss and Jessica don't know it, but their small group leaders have been praying for an opportunity to go deeper with someone. They're looking for friends. And it has begun this night in the ice cream shop. Because they discover there's so many things they like to do that are in common, they start doing those things. Just the two couples. Because it's so easy for them to talk and tell stories, they start getting together and doing that. Five years later, these two couples are taking a vacation together. Their kids are on the same basketball team. When Jessica's mom dies, and Joss and Jessica have to leave town to go make arrangements far away, this couple keeps their kids, make sure they get back and forth to school and their games. And when the funeral comes on Saturday, this couple brings their kids and Joss and Jessica's kids, and they all go together and attend the funeral together. This friendship began because one night a small group was having a little fall apart moment. But two leaders wouldn't cancel. And two group members took a chance to see what God might be able to do with a few crumbs of faithfulness. And this is the power of the secret. So if you haven't grasped the secret yet, this is it. Show up. It's the secret to everything. Show up. Don't think of your group as a place you need or you don't need on a certain night, but as a place where God wants to meet with you in a unique way. Don't think of it just as a place to study or play or pray, but as a place where miracles sometimes happen. And if you're there, you're part of it. It's a place that is as much about how God might use you unexpectedly to give a gift to someone else as a place where he might use someone else unexpectedly to give a gift to you. So roll out of bed. 30 more minutes of sleep will not heal your soul. Put down your remote and get your car keys. There's no miracle on Netflix tonight. Don't. Send that text. The Lord is waiting. And with faithfulness the size of a mustard seed, you might see a mountain move. Amen. We'll show up now for the Lord's table. If uh, some are going to come and prepare it, this is a beautiful picture of community. There's always some who prepare it. We take turns preparing it. Some who receive it, and we take turns receiving it. So we like to look at the different aspects of communion. uh, This week we're looking again at the aspect of the family. How we show up to receive from another person a gift which God has prepared. Someone made this bread to represent the body of Jesus, which on that night when he was betrayed was broken. Someone rolled out dough and sprinkled flour, but to them they knew they were going to prepare a moment for they hope you to encounter the grace of Christ. Someone went to the store and bought the grape juice. Wish we did that homemade, but I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I don't. Uh, But Someone picked it out because we tear off that bread, we dip it in the chalice because Jesus said, when you drink this cup, it is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. The person holding it even tries to help you. They say, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. So you can remember what brings us together. And then they say, the peace of the Lord be with you. And if you like, you can say, and also with you because the person behind that cup had a crazy week too. So we wish peace on one another and forgiveness. There's a place where you can kneel and pray for yourself, for others. And then let's go down the side aisles. We'll come back up and we still have some worship and some things to do together this morning. Let us stand and join together in the Lord's Prayer. And then, if you wish, you don't have to, you can come forward and receive communion this morning. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, This comes from Numbers. This was a blessing uh, which Moses gave. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's fancy words, but it means uh, may you know the Lord sees you, loves you, takes joy in you. And that knowledge go forth. Amen.